Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 4 What did you say? After Noah and his family had been on the ark for 370 days, God establishes his covenant with them, giving him the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, just like the command that Adam and Eve got at the beginning of creation. Only this one was a little bit different. After being told to have children and fill the earth, God gives him a couple of other commands. The first one is that God tells Noah that every creature of earth will have the fear of man and that each one is placed into the hand of man, which leads God to giving man the authority to eat meat. Before the flood, man had not yet received the authority to eat meat. This brings up the question of why did Noah bring the seven animals of each clean pair if they were not allowed to eat meat yet? Also, why would there be a difference between clean and unclean animals if the law given to Moses about the animals that were okay and not okay to eat was hundreds of years later? When it says that Noah brought seven of the clean animals, the actual translation of that means seven, seven. This could mean that seven times seven is the amount that Noah brought on the ark, which would be 49 birds and beasts of every clean animal, or it could mean seven of each of the clean animals. But many scholars actually believe that it's seven and their seven, meaning seven pairs of clean animals. Either way, God had Noah bring more clean animals than unclean animals. This still begs the question of why. If they were not allowed to eat meat until after the flood, you would really not need the extra animals. Therefore, these extra animals are thought to have been for other things than just for food after the flood. The first reason could be for work. The clean animals that are mentioned in Leviticus given by the law of Moses are mostly domesticated, and domesticated animals were used a lot for working and farming. This would help Noah and his family to get the earth ready for planting, or the reason God had Noah bring the extra pair of animals was because he knew that Noah was going to need them for food after the flood. Noah did use some of the clean animals to offer a burnt sacrifice to God, though. The Bible says that when God smelled the pleasing aroma that he began to make the covenant with Noah and his family, that he would never destroy the earth with a flood. Right in the middle of the covenant about not flooding the earth, God gives the Noah the death penalty. In Genesis 9, verse 6, God says that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, because God made man in his own image. God goes right back to saying that the earth will never be destroyed by a flood again. With that, he gives his bow as a sign in the sky that never again will the flood happen. God's bow is the rainbow that is seen after the rain, and the sun comes out as that sign. Today, rather than seeing it as a promise from God to people, animals, and the earth, it is now seen as an image that is separate from God and his word. After the flood, Noah begins to become a man of the soil, and he plants a vineyard. When he drank some of the wine from the vineyard, he got drunk and took all of his clothes off inside of his tent. Ham, Noah's youngest son, saw him naked and told his brothers about their father. Noah's other two sons then took a garment and put it over their shoulders and walked backwards to cover their father without seeing him naked. 
Once Noah woke up and found out what Ham did to him, he cursed Ham's youngest son, Canaan. But no one knows what Ham did to Noah. And why would Canaan be cursed because of his father seeing Noah naked? Only speculations have been brought up in regards to what Ham did. It is said that when Ham looked at his father's nakedness, that it was a lustful way. Others say that Ham castrated his father and then went out and told his brother of their father's nakedness. Another thought is that in Leviticus 20 verse 11, it says that when you uncover or you see your father's nakedness, it meant that you slept with his wife. This would explain why Canaan got cursed, because he was the offspring of Ham and Noah's wife. But as said before, this is just speculations. If Ham did sleep with Noah's wife, then there wouldn't be any reason for his brothers to cover up Noah. Whatever happened, and something did happen to Noah, it most likely involved Ham and Canaan, which is interesting because Canaan is Ham's youngest son. Canaan's curse was that he was to be a servant to his brothers. And although we don't know if Canaan served his brothers, this can be seen when the Israelites conquered the Canaanites and put them into slavery to serve the Israelites. However, there isn't anything in the Bible that would give a clue as to why Noah cursed Canaan, or what did they do to Noah. As time passed, Noah's sons began to have children of their own, and from these children the whole world would be populated. From Japheth, there are seven sons mentioned. The first is Gomer. Gomer's descendants migrated northwards into what is today modern-day Turkey. People would later be called the Galatians, the same one that the letter is written to in the New Testament, as well as Gauls. Later we find that the Gauls moved from Turkey west into what is now modern-day France and Spain. France at one point used to be called Gaul after the people that used to live there. However, the descendants of Gomer would also expand into modern-day Wales, Germany, and Armenia. Magog is Japheth's second son. His descendants would go into modern-day Romania and Ukraine and would be called the Scythians. Medei, the third son, his descendants would be called the Medes by the Greeks. However, they would then become part of the Persian kingdom. They are the ones that settled in modern-day Iran as well as India. Javan is the fourth grandson of Noah mentioned. Javan in Hebrew is a word for Greece. Javan's descendants would have direct connections with the Greek people. Tubal is the next son of Japheth. His descendants would move into what is now known in modern-day Georgia. Meshach, the sixth son, his name is the ancient version for Moscow, which is today's capital in Russia. In the region surrounding Moscow, there is still, to this day, a place called Meshach. Tiresh, the last son, would be called the Thracians settling down in Macedonia and much of what today is modern-day Yugoslavia. Tiresh would later be worshipped by his descendants as Thor, the god of thunder. Next would come Ham and his children. Much of his descendants would settle in parts of Africa and would be called the land of Ham in the Bible. The first son is Cush. His descendants would settle in Ethiopia, as the name of Cush in Hebrew means Ethiopia. Mizraim is the next son. His name is the Hebrew word for Egypt. All of his descendants would eventually settle in the region of Egypt. The next son of Ham would be Phut, which is the Hebrew word for Libya just west of Egypt in Africa. Canaan is the next son. Canaan's descendants would become the people that lived in the land of Canaan when the Israelites came to conquer the promised land. 
In modern day, it is the area of Israel, Jordan, and Palestine. These descendants would be what are known as the Philistines, which is where Palestine gets its name from. The Hittites, which would then become the Hittite Empire. The Jebusites, which is an ancient name for Jerusalem, as well as many other people groups. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. Elam would become the father of the Persian people. However, the Persians would later mix with the Medes, the descendants of Medei, the son of Japheth, to form modern-day Iran. Asher is the Hebrew word for Assyria. This people group would become one of the greatest empires in ancient times. This empire would then later be the ones that conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Asher would also become the deity among the Assyrian people. Arphaxad would become the father of the Chaldeans, which lived in southern Mesopotamian region. They would eventually be absorbed into the Babylonians. The Hebrews, or the Israelites, would also come from Arphaxad. Other descendants would settle in modern-day Arabia. Lud would become the father of the Lydians, which is in modern-day western Turkey. Aram is a Hebrew word for Syria, which is still seen today in the country of Syria, just north of Israel and south of Turkey. Chapter 10 of Genesis is sometimes called the Table of Nations. Now the separation of all these nations didn't happen until after the fall of the Tower of Babel, in which God changed their languages so that they would not stay in one place. This can be seen in Genesis 10, verse 5, 20, and 31, where it says that the people groups were separated into their languages and clans. Now this leads us to the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 10, it talks about the table of nations, but then it hits chapter 11, which actually happens before chapter 10. Because in chapter 11, it says that there was only one language, whereas in chapter 10, it says that they all split up into their separate clans by their languages. In Genesis 11, it takes a moment to tell the quick story of the Tower of Babel. Although it is a quick story, it would actually change the world forever. With that, let's take a look at this event in history. To start off, let's take a look at where the first empire was founded. In Genesis 10, verse 10, Nimrod, the son of Cush, grandson of Ham, would build his empire with the cities of Babel, Iraq, Akkad, Kalnah, all in the land of Shinar or Mesopotamia. In this land is where the Tower of Babel is built. The common thought is that the land of Shinar is thought to have been in southern Mesopotamia, where the city of Babylon would eventually appear, and that Babel was the beginning of the city of Babylon. However, there are arguments that the Tower of Babel was built in the northern section of Mesopotamia. The land of Shinar means the land of two rivers. The issue is in finding which two rivers it is referring to. To find where the land of Shinar is, we must look at where Babel is. Some translations of the Bible say that Babel is the same as Babylon, but both names have totally different meanings, and though they do look similar, they aren't. Babel means confused, while the word Babylon means gate of the gods. Because of the different meanings of the words, some scholars would say that they aren't the same place at all. The ruins of the ancient city of Babylon have been found about 50 miles south of modern-day Baghdad in Iraq. Although it could be said that Babel is a Hebrew word for confusion, and the reason it's called Babylon is because other myths in ancient history have a story in which the people tried to build a tower to get to heaven where the gods were. The gods would foil their plans and overthrow the tower 
and send the people throughout the world and their clans speaking different languages. Therefore, it's called the Gate of Gods because that is where the gods came down to earth. However, there is evidence that the southern part of Mesopotamia was still underwater when the descendants of Noah were thought to have moved away from the ark. It wouldn't be for another couple hundred years later in which the water would lower as the time of the Ice Age continued. At the time of the ark landing on dry land, the place that the ancient ruins of Babylon are about 260 feet below sea level, which leads some to think that the ancient ruins in southern Mesopotamia couldn't be the same ruins of Babel and that the tower was built in the northern part of Mesopotamia in modern-day Syria and Iraq, just south of the mountains in Turkey. Nimrod didn't just build the city of Babel, though. With Babel and the three other cities began his empire. Although the city of Akkad is mentioned once in the Bible, it is thought to have been the capital of the kingdom of Sargon, also called the Akkadian kingdom that conquered the ancient kingdom of Sumeria in the Mesopotamian region. The Akkadian empire would only last about 150 years and would disappear completely due to a famine that lasted 300 years with northern Mesopotamia being hit pretty hard. The other two cities were thought to be around the other two, all of them being placed somewhat close to each other somewhere in northern Mesopotamia. After establishing those cities, he went into Assyria, which is in the northern part of Mesopotamia in modern-day Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, Syria and Turkey and built Nineveh, a city that would one day become the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the same city that God would later send Jonah to bring the good news to. Nimrod would then build Rehobothor, Kalah, and Rezin in the Assyrian area. In Genesis 11 verse 4, it says that the people did the opposite of God's command, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. It says that they came together to build themselves a city and a tower that would reach into the heavens so that they would make a name for themselves. The Tower of Babel is thought to be the first tower that was built as a ziggurat. Basically, the ziggurat is a giant square with different step sizes from one level to the next, just like the pyramids. They would use baked bricks for stone to build the tower, holding it together with butamen, which is much like asphalt today. Butamen is also very common in the northern part of Mesopotamia. The Bible says in Genesis 11, verse 4, that they built themselves a city and a tower that reaches the heavens. No one knows how large the tower was or was going to be, but in order to have a tower that reaches the heavens, the foundation of that ziggurat would have to be massive. Although in the 5th century, the Greek historian Herodotus said that he saw the Tower of Babel standing at 60 meters, or almost 200 feet tall. Throughout the world and history, Ziggurats are found everywhere. The majority of them were used as high points with the temple on top to worship the people's gods. It continues and says that the people wanted to build themselves the tower so that they could make a name for themselves and not be dispersed across the earth as God has said to do. The name that they wanted was fame for themselves, separate from God, for building their tower. The man who was able to lead the people in the act against God's command was Nimrod. As mentioned earlier, Nimrod was the son of Cush the great-grandson of Noah. Nimrod was a man of great ambition and drive to lead the people, although it was in the wrong direction. Nimrod was the one that pushed for the people to build the Tower of Babel so that they could protect themselves from God if he decided to flood the earth again by building the tower so high the waters wouldn't reach it. Also, 
Nimrod wanted to take revenge on God for killing the whole earth. There is even evidence that Nimrod was one of the giants that were after the flood, as Genesis 6 verse 4 mentions. The word in the Bible to describe him as a mighty man may have reference to him being one of these giants. Later on, when the Israelites go out to spy the land in Canaan and discover the giants living there, they would be related to Nimrod. Being of great strength and stature, it's no wonder why people followed him as he became the tyrant ruler of his kingdom. Nimrod is an interesting person. It only briefly mentions him in the Bible, but he is thought to have impacted all of history. His name means rebel or rebellious one, and it is thought that a lot of ancient myths are tied to him. For example, Hungarian, Greek, Arabic, Syrian, Armenian all have myths that are tied to Nimrod. Both the Epic of Gilgamesh and Hercules is thought to have begun with him. Sumerians, the Babylonians, Assyrians, and the Hittites also portrayed him as a great hero that was part god and man. To add to the story, Semiramis, either his mother, his wife, or some actually believe that she was both his wife and later became his mother, as she was impregnated by Nimrod after his death and became a god. This would then bring about the worship of different mother-son cults, such as Isis and Orias in Egypt, Venus and Adunas in Greece, Ashuish and Vishnu in Hinduism. Some even have pointed out that the worship of Mary, the mother of Jesus, could have its roots in this cult. It is thought that her and Nimrod were the first ones to create a polytheistic worship to remove God. Many think that the tower could have been used as a temple to study and worship the stars, so that the people could be drawn away from the one true God. She is thought to be the one that could be called the Queen of Heaven that would be later worshipped by the Israelites. Other forms of the Queen of Heaven would be seen as Ishtar, an Assyrian and Babylonian goddess, or Astarte and Ashtoreth, both names that would be seen throughout the land of Canaan. Once a goddess, she was thought to have been the wife of Baal. She was worshipped as the goddess of fertility, because she was miraculously gave birth to Nimrod. Therefore, many temples were built that had prostitutes in order to perform their so-called worship to her. However, based on other writings, she could have been also the wife of Ninus, the founder of Nineveh, and became the queen of Assyria. Although the Bible says that it was Nimrod who built the city of Nineveh in Genesis 10 verse 11. Either way, she would one day become the object of much worship, either in her mother-son cult or being the queen of heaven. Although Semiramis isn't mentioned in the Bible, she is written about a lot in extra-biblical writing, and she did rule over an empire and did some things that are seen in history. For example, she did build the city of Babylon, including the walls and the castle that protected the city. She is even thought to have been the one that built the Hanging Garden and is known in history as a great military strategist that would conquer Asia, Libya, and Ethiopia. Much of the area that she is known to be part of is directly related to Nimrod and his empire. This is a guy that would lead the people in rebellion against God and build a tower that was meant for worship of the stars or to save themselves from another flood. One way or another, they wanted to create a name for themselves that went against God. Therefore, in verse 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 11 in Genesis, God comes down and confuses their language. He breaks down their unity with one another. God doesn't just confuse the language of random people, but he separates them into different family groups. 
That is why the table of nations show that each descendant of Noah and his family went in different directions. Being fruitful and multiplying on the earth as God commanded them to do after the Tower of Babel. When the different family groups moved away from the Tower of Babel, they took the story with them. Today throughout the world, many cultures have a worldwide flood and the worship of stars and of the planets. Also, many cultures have their own version of a story of a hero. This brings up the question, when God confused their languages, did he also create the different ethnicities? Most likely, they existed before the Tower of Babel. These different ethnicity groups would have been just different families. Some of the things that would contribute to the difference between these groups is the different languages, the splitting into different family groups, and the environment in which each group moved to. Before the Tower of Babel, the gene pool would have been so much larger because they would have the whole human race to marry. However, when God split them up into different languages, that gene pool would have gotten a lot smaller. And as they would intermarry within their families, that gene pool would get even smaller and smaller. Over time, families would only give birth to children that all had the same similarities. And as the groups of people moved, their environment would play a role in those similarities. For example, skin color. There have been studies that show a relationship between skin color and health in an environment that affects the color of skin. In colder climates, lighter colored skin would do better in this environment because it would be more receptive to the sunlight and receiving vitamin D just because there is less sunlight in colder climates. On the other hand, darker skin would be better for the hotter environments because it is more protective to the sun. People in colder regions with darker skin would suffer a lack of vitamin D and be less healthy to that of a person with lighter skin. Same would be true for a person with lighter skin in a hotter climate. They would suffer from the inability to protect themselves from the sun. Therefore, the population with the lighter skin in hotter areas and those with darker skin in colder areas would eventually dwindle because of not being as healthy and result not producing as many children. This isn't proof for evolution that humans slowly evolve. Because there are so many different physical differences seen today, we know that Noah and his family held all of the genes for these differences. Also, what evolutionists look to prove their ideas is today's languages because they think that speech has slowly evolved into what it is today. However, in history, that isn't what is seen. Languages used to be more complex than they are today. Historically, all of the ancient languages in the Mesopotamian area all appear at just about the same time. These include the Sumerian language, the Hittite, which would be passed into Greek, Latin, and later into Western Europe, the Akkadian language, which would pass into Latin or Arabic, but the Hebrew language derives from it also. All that scholars are still trying to discover the translation today. Another issue with evolution in regards to language is if it all had evolved from one thing, throughout history we would see languages all tied together in some way. However, all the languages are broken down into three different types, what scholars call the Japhetic, Semitic, and Hamitic languages. These three types of languages historically are very different from each other with few similarities and very complex. This doesn't point to evolution whatsoever, but actually to what the Bible says in that God supernaturally gave the different family groups their own languages and they moved out from the Tower of Babel. And as people moved out into their nations and their land based on their languages and clans, 
we will see that God still pursued to fulfill his covenant that he had given Adam and Eve and Noah. As history continues, God chooses a very special man to give his promise to, and that he would be blessed with more children than the sands on the earth. So join us next time as we look to the man that would be called Abraham, the father of many nations, by God in episode 5, Father Abraham. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and rate and review it, and be sure to let your friends and family know about it. For ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.